Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Dori Shafrir. Hi, I'm Kate Spencer. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hey. Well, you know, we're not experts, Kate. No, definitely not. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We do. And before we get into the serum chat, just want to remind everyone of a few things, one of which is that you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com for links to everything we mentioned on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Forever35Pod, on Instagram at Forever35Podcast. You can join the Forever35 Facebook group where the password is serums. If you're not into Facebook, you can head on over to Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash Forever35. Which we don't moderate, but it exists. Indeed. We want to give you another alternative. Uh, you can also call us and text us 781-591-0390. Email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, we do always appreciate a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. 
tell a friend, mention us on social media. We like all of those things. They make us feel good. Oh, wow. I was just going to say, they make us feel good. Look at us. Oh, look at us. Oh, no. I know. (laughs) We are one. (laughs) Wow. Except I don't like cinnamon candy. I still don't understand you, but okay. I'll just have to learn to live with it, I guess. But Yeah, but otherwise we are one. Otherwise we're the same person. Yep. In a lot of ways. How are you doing? So I did something that by accident that has helped my mental health. Do go on. I love an accidental mental health pick-me-up. Truly bizarre. I accidentally turned off email notifications on my phone. I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Uh Uh-huh. But now I get... like, And I didn't mean to do it, so I didn't realize it was happening. And now that I've realized it, I'm very into it. So... I've turned off notifications for email specifically. And what that means is that I get not only do I get no updates like when I get a new email, but I also there's no number in the little corner of the Mm -hmm. of the email Mm -hmm. icon, like Mm -hmm. ticking up how many emails are just sitting Mm -hmm. unanswered. So it has relieved a very particular kind of stress and anxiety that I feel. And I should also add that. In one of my inboxes, I've been getting a lot of emails intended for another person with the same name as me, who's also a writer. <sighs> so, so I've been getting like nonstop kind of like press emails for this person. Oh my god! So I was constantly getting email updates, and I'd go to open them, and they they were not for me. So it was just kind of this like added rush of like nerves and adrenaline only to be met with like irritation because I have to keep I finally have set an away message being like hey you have the wrong person but so uh, so yeah so anyway so then so I did this by accident but now it's been this like massive gift to my brain that's awesome well you know who did this is former forever 35 guest Natasha Rothwell Do you remember she talked about how she has no notifications on her phone at all, including email and texts? Yes. And I think what I didn't realize is that it meant you could even turn off the little number thing. Mm -hmm, mm Because I thought it meant you just wouldn't get like the on-screen pop-up every time you received a new message. Right, 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 right. I don't think I fully grasped what it meant not to have these notifications. And Well, I don't have have, uh, social media notifications turned on. Like I don't have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And so there's there's no numbers on those either. And I don't have text notifications turned on on my iPad. Sometimes I like to send messages for my iPad, but I really, my iPad is really like my safe space, if you will. And there's no little number on the text message thing there either, which is really nice. But do you, do you have a number on the email on your iPad? I don't have my email on my iPad at all. Okay. Oh, good work. Good work, Dory. That is a safe space. Yeah. 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 I, um, it's taken away and it's like been instantaneous. It's taken away this need. I feel like I have to respond right away. But what's interesting then I go in and check it when I have time. So mm-hmm. then I actually feel like I am replying as opposed to what I normally do, which is I like read them when I'm busy and in the middle of things and then forget and then about forget them. to reply. I know I do yeah. that too. I do that a lot. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. cause you have to deal with emailing me. Um, 
I get a lot of bump emails from Dory reminding me to respond to things. But that's I just, try to wait a couple days. I to appreciate be fair. it. I appreciate I don't send it. like a bump an hour later. God no, no. But anyway, I'm kind of into this experiment, and I, the only thing is that it is uh, inspiring the feeling of. Am I a bad person if I don't respond to these emails right? Like because I'm missing them. Yes. You know, they're not popping up instantly. Then that means I'm seeing things like maybe an hour after I receive them. And I feel like we've all now been indoctrinated into this behavior of like responding right away. And if someone doesn't respond right away, like what's going on and what's wrong and what have I done? So I'm just kind of giving it a go. But the, the way it is, it has felt mentally for me, like, and also like waking up in the morning and not seeing like 35 emails. Yes, yes, it's yes. Just, it's a just a just a treat. So anyway, I don't have a good system for email. I find the pressure of email to be very overwhelming and exhausting and stressful and I my inboxes still get too full and I don't know. But anyway, this has been like kind of an un um unexpected self-care practice that I'm really excited about. Well, good. Yeah. So that's what's I'm going happy on with for me. You. How frequently do you check your email? I mean, constantly, but it's <laughs> like, but it's, but I think what it takes away is the feeling that, like, if I can't, I don't have to. Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do always feel like if something pops up, no matter what, I was going to look at it, which meant I was constantly just staring at my phone. And my phone is giving me less of a reason to be constantly opening that email. Folder, so my so. my takeaway from this as your business partner is that if something is urgent that comes in over email, I should text you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I was going to let you. Okay. Th- this is hilarious because I did it by... It's only been like four days, but I did do it by accident. And then like hours went by because nothing popped up. And I was like, oh, I don't have any emails. It's so, so strange. And then I... <laughs> <laughs> then I opened the inbox oh and there were God. like 50 emails sitting there. But yeah, I think, uh, yes, please. And I'll, and I'll keep you posted. Like one thought I had was like, what if I just don't look at my email and I check it, you know, every morning at 9am and reply to everything. And I check it every afternoon at five and reply to everything. And then that's it. But I, but I feel like that would take so much unlearning and learning. I say this with kindness. <laughs> But I feel that it's, that's that's not practical and is going to stress me out because I'll, you'll just be sitting there waiting for my responses. Yeah, like if you were if you were just writing books, I would say that sounds great. But since we are partners in this business together, and sometimes stuff comes in that needs a response more quickly, that is that is going to be stressful for me. But what I'm asking you is that I need you to do the emotional labor of texting me <laughs> every time an urgent. Uh, I, I am curious, like, how do does anyone have like a an email practice? Well, I that- think that, I think there is a healthy email practice that is somewhat similar to what you're suggesting. It's just that people check it like once an hour. That makes sense. That's a good. I, that's a good way of doing it. I and do a like lot, the idea. a certain yeah. amount of time for it. Like you check it every hour on the hour for seven minutes or something. Mm. Hmm. I have heard of people with 
you know, nine to five jobs who, who do it that way. Well, I think too, there's a, there's a world in which like you respond to you respond on the hour to the urgent things that need responding. And then the long, the things that are like less urgent you can do like in your longer daily email check-in? I don't know. Totally. What maybe you have maybe you have like a once a day long email check-in. What are your healthy email habits, people out there? Let us know. We want to know. You have I think a pretty healthy relationship to email. It's chaotic though. It is because you do you do I've noticed you'll have like a swirl where like all of a sudden like five responses will like I can I can I know when you are like looking at your email and responding to stuff because you you knock it all out but it feels like you are consistent and you're on top of things yeah I mean I think that's true generally but I also have no qualms about leaving a lot of stuff unread mm. oh like you would ooh. you would have a heart attack if you looked at my inbox oh my god you leave stuff unread I leave I would say 85% of my personal inbox, I leave probably 85 to 90% of stuff unread. And Ooh. in the Forever 35 inbox, I leave probably 30% of stuff unread. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. So it works for me. Right, right. But I don't think it would work for you. No, I know. It's, that's what's so annoying is that it's this thing we all have, but it doesn't... There's no wave to consistently do it because we're all totally. so different. I also finally got like over the fetishization of inbox zero. Mm, snaps. Like people I, are so into inbox zero. Like, and if that is something that calms you and works for you, great. But it's, it's, it's been like held up as like, you're, it's this paragon of virtue to have inbox zero. And it's like, who cares? I don't have inbox zero, but you know what else? My desk is cluttered. Like this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not an inbox zero clean desk person. That's just not me. You're not an inbox zero kind of person. I'm not. I'm just not. I don't think and I I'm, am either, but I want to know what I am. I don't know what I am. Mm, is the problem. Who am I? In my now we're, now we're, now we're getting to the crux of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have therapy for like a few weeks, so I really uh I've got a lot of stuff to work through here in terms of my inbox. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway. It's a metaphor. I know, but it's just something I've been I guess I'm thinking about, clearly. Yeah, I mean I just I, I think turning the notifications off, whether it was deliberate or not, is turns is, is like a great healthy thing for you. Well, maybe I'll set up some alarms to remind myself to be checking my email. So that way I don't leave you in my inbox, you know, alone and, and seeking answers. I just don't like having to nag. That's my, that's my thing. I don't like to be put in the position of like having to remind someone to respond to an email. So that's my only thing of like, "Mm, don't put me in that position. I will not. I will not. I appreciate you. you communicating that to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate I appreciate your appreciation. I have a question for you. Yes. When did you last shower? Kate, you know what? <laughs> I could not tell you. I truly don't remember. Take a minute. Take a minute here recording this podcast. <sighs> seek seek into the memory. You have like was it last Monday? Could so, it have been yesterday? Okay. Here's here's what here's what I think is the case. 
ish, I think. I'm trying to remember when I last worked out because I didn't work out at the like the second half of last week. I did not work out. So I think the last time I showered was the last time I worked out. And today is Monday. I believe it was Wednesday. Okay, great. Because, you know, the days just go by and I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't really want to like get in the shower. It's like a whole production. (laughs) to shower you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but i was looking in the mirror i also in the past like even if i haven't worked out if my hair is looking like really greasy i'll just take a shower but i was looking at my hair and i was like it doesn't look amazing like i wouldn't want to do a photo shoot right now but it doesn't look bad it looks okay and i was like maybe it's the brio geo that's the Maybe. only thing I can think. Cause the last time I washed my hair, if I recall correctly, I I'd try to use the their like charcoal stuff, shampoo and conditioner that is supposed mm-hmm. to like really tackle oily scalp. I try to use that once a week. And then the other days I'm using their other shampoo and conditioner, which is like volumizing. Mm. And I think that that has been helping. What I I'm really hearing, do. What I'm hearing is that it sounds like it's doing its job almost too well. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, it made you forget when you showered, which is great. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, God. I, 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 I need to take a shower. Do I just you need know to take showering shower. is not like an important way to stay clean. It isn't? I mean, it's fine if you want to do it, but you could also just like wet a washcloth. My grandmother and I used to just like, when I was a kid, I'll never forget. She just, I would just do like a washcloth bath where you just wet a washcloth, you know, wipe yourself down and be done with it. It's like a sponge bath kind of situation. But sponge bath. Showers are are possibly overrated. Wow. This is bold. Well, you're drying out your skin with all that hot water. You're you're wasting water. You know, it's yeah, not necessary. Yeah, yeah. You're overwashing your hair and your body. Perhaps we can all rein it in. Kate, I like what you're saying. I don't know. Are we all going to sponge bath in 2021? Is that where this is headed? Maybe. I mean, I feel like for centuries, that was how people stayed clean. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like mostly a- sponge baths. <laughs> this is obviously not. I'm not introducing something new here. But let's let's just do a little. We're getting away. we're getting back to basics, everyone. <laughs> sponge bath. Okay. Yep. I would be yep, into yep, a sponge yep. bath. I need Dory. to get a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> the first basic part of a sponge bath. Uh, get sponge. Get sponge. All right. Add it get, to the list. Get bath, or you could just yep. even just you don't need a bath. Just wash yourself no. up in the sink. You know. Yep. 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 I challenge you. To a sponge bath challenge. What is the sponge bath challenge? Well, Tell I, me. I'm making this up on the spot, but I'd be curious. Like, you don't need, like, the hair washing is not that important, is what I'm hearing you say. Like, you don't need to be washing your hair. Your hair's going strong and it's been like five or six days. Yes, yes, yes. This so, is true. I guess I'd just be curious, like, what if you incorporated the occasional sponge bath into your life? You know what? I don't hate what you're saying. Seems like fun too. A sponge bath feels like a new form of just like, I don't know, body care. Not a new form, but new form for us. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Well, 
I'm going to take all of this under advisement. Okay, Okay. I also just want to mention something that I'm doing. And I think you do this too. Yeah, I do do it every year. Um, so we both do this. <laughs> we both adopt families through our local children's law center for the holidays and also a child through baby to babies, family to family holiday program. Basically, you just buy gifts for a family or a child in need. And I just wanted to mention it because I know a lot of people are looking for ways to give back to volunteer right now. And it's a little stressful. What with the COVIDs of it all. And I think this is a great way to give back. That is no contact. Mm -hmm. And it's also fun to shop for other people. It is fun. And, and as a, um, as a parent with older children, it's something that I now include my kids. Um, oh, that's so cool. So it's something we can all do together now that they kind of have an understanding and are, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I I have really enjoyed doing this for the past couple of years and excited to do it again. Yeah, so I think baby the Baby to Baby program, I believe, is local to Los Angeles. Um, but Children's Law Centers, as far as I know, are all over the country. So you might look into reaching out to one of those. And then there's obviously also Operation Santa and like other gift giving programs that get gifts for children in need. But these are the ones that Kate and I do. So we just wanted to mention those. And on a completely different note, Kate. Yes. I just want to tell everyone and you that I scheduled a tennis lesson. (gasps) Dory. I know. I'm excited for you. I'm excited too. Are you nervous? No, it's a private lesson. So like, it's just going to be me and the instructor. And did you just find this person via a Google or? Well, there are public court, there are city courts near my house. Mm -hmm. And they also happen to be at the park where I take Henry. And so there are just signs up that are like, if you want to take tennis lessons, here's the website. And I went to the website and called the tennis pro the the head of the tennis lessons at at this park and he put me in touch with another instructor who had availability when it was convenient for me and so that was just how it happened very cool dory i think each city court from what i understand each city court has like a contract with different tennis instructor vendors Mm. although this one that i am going through seems to have a contract with a bunch of different courts but then like beverly hills has their whole program like it's very like individualized from what i can gather so it's a little and you have to like actually call them (laughs) you can't just like sign up online which you know make makes you have to really think it through what a nice thing to do for yourself and just yourself though you know oh thank you thank you so much but truly like it's just for you it's not involving your anyone else it's just a thing for you to do i think that's really nice it's true thank you kate well should we take a little break before we talk to louise penny this interview was so fun I would I would go so far as to call it iconic. It was I mean, we were giddy. We were. I mean, she says some really amazing and surprising things. 
Let's just say, I mean, I don't even want to spoil it. You know, what? I'm not Let's even going to spoil, spoil it because it. it's just better. It's better if you just hear it. <laughs> so she was just so amazing. All right. Yes. She is will... the author. She's the author of the Armand Gamache um, books, which I believe have been mentioned on the show before, but she is just such a delight. And we really enjoyed talking to her and we hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. So we'll be right back. 
whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Our guest today is Louise Penny, who is a former CBC radio journalist, but is also the number one New York Times, USA Today, and Globe and Mail bestselling author of the Chief Inspector Armand Gamache novels. The 16th novel in the series, All the Devils Are Here, was released in September, and she has been awarded the CWA Dagger Nero McCavity 
and Barry Awards, as well as two each of the Arthur Ellis and Dillis? Dillis? Dillis. 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 Dillis Awards. <laughs> In addition, she has won the Agatha Award seven times and was a finalist for the Edgar Award for Best Novel. In 2017, she received the Order of Canada for her contributions to Canadian culture and she lives in a small village south of Montreal. And we are so, so, so excited to have you on today. Welcome to Forever 35. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be on. That's it's such a lovely introduction, Dory. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Hey, it's been oddly silent. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sitting here quiet. I've got no introduction. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Louise, I've read all of the... Armand Gamache novels. Uh, I read the most recent one. I loved it. So I just want to be clear that you're speaking to fans (laughs) here on the show. Um, But we do like to start all of our interviews by asking our guests about a self-care ritual that is bringing them kind of comfort and maybe even a little bit of joy right now. So do you have a ritual like that? It's such a good question. Um, Well, what's new for me since the pandemic that has turned out to be uh, unexpectedly self-care is um, uh, because we're locked in. I mean, I'm right now in London and we go into we're in lockdown again. Mm. Um, I've started running. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm actually in better shape now than I may have been for most of my life. I do Pilates and I have a someone who does it with me privately on Zoom. And that's been very helpful. But I've been doing that for a little while. And I just thought, you know, now's the time. Let's just let's just see how that goes. And so now the thing is that when you're you run inside, you're, you know, and I live, you know, in a, in a condo, and mm-hmm. you, you, you can't get a lot of speed happening you Mm -hmm. up down and around i've i'm now very good at cornering i go around and around the kitchen island (laughs) so i actually have worn a path through the on the uh, path on the uh, carpet um but it's fun i'm having a blast doing it so you're running inside your condo five kilometers a day oh my god God. (laughs) i know who thought who knew wow this is amazing it's so sad, no. but you know what? I started since when we were allowed out of lockup. I thought, you know, maybe I should go outside. This will be fun. We'll go outside. The funniest thing is, I can't seem to run outside. I don't know. Do either of you run? A I little. used to. That sounds like a no to me. <laughs> those, are, those are very hesitant no's. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know why. I can't run out. It's, I must be a psychological thing, but I can run, as I said, for, you know, five kilometers nonstop around and around and around my own place, but put me outside and I can't run to the corner without coughing up a lung. Well, we should also uh, say for our, our American listeners, five kilometers is 3.1 miles. I thought That's... it was like 100. Is it not 100? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to, to bring it down here. It's only three miles. But that, that's a, that's a long distance, but especially long when you're running in an enclosed space in your home. Oh, yeah. oh no, it's it's true. And you know, and the only thing is that that keeps me sane is is the um, having music in my ears. Mm. Can you imagine? Just uh, and yet, I don't know what it is. I think I, I think it's contemplative. 
Mm -hmm. I feel good about myself. It gives me permission to eat all the brownies that I have made. (laughs) We're also doing that right now. We're also making brownies, especially Dory. Dory Yes, I just actually made brownies the other day. (laughs) Do you know, one of my best friends has become, and I actually met her in Paris while I was researching the latest book, which is a wonderful sentence to say and have it actually be true, is... Dory Greenspan. I don't know if you know her. She writes uh, a big cookies. Book. Yes. 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 <laughs> she's become a great friend and she's, she talks all the time about baking uh, brownies. So it's, it's very comfort. Comforting. She's wonderful. I mean, not just because we have the same name, although we spell it differently, but her cookbooks are so, so wonderful. And she's also a great Instagram follower for anyone who's on Instagram. Um, so... I, I would love to keep talking about your indoor running <laughs> routine because well, it's it fascinating. Another, I also do want to talk about the fact that you write a book a year, which is a very intense pace. And Kate and I have both written books, and I, I don't think I would ever be able to do that. So please tell us about your writing process and how you stay so not only disciplined, but also motivated. It helps that I love what I'm writing, but mm-hmm. for me, it's not uh, a, a sausage factory. It's not formulaic. I, I, I really seriously enjoy the characters and I, and I enjoy uh, learning more about them and exploring them. I enjoy their company and they've been, it's been a great balm through, through mm. the time of isolation. I, I live on my own. And so to, to have people, characters who I enjoy in my head and, get to spend time with them through this um, has been a comfort. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a great question. And it's, I, I'm now writing book 17 and it's a series. So it's essentially the same core group of characters um, in pretty much with some exceptions, the same setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge is not to by mistake, write the same book. Um, so for me, what I have to murder, murder isn't a theme. Murder is an act. And to write about murder, spending a year writing about murder every day would be of no interest to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what the act provokes. The, it, it is the, um, the Trojan horse in which all sorts of other things ride. And so for me, to keep it fresh and interesting for me, and in fact, intellectually thrilling, is to explore different themes. Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what keeps me moving forward and keeps me interested, keeps me getting to the laptop, um, in the difficult times, you know, the muddle in the middle when you think it's all mared and it actually is, is it, you know, you, it keeps you moving forward through the sludge because you know that there's probably, that it's worth it, that it's right. worth it, Yeah, but it, it can be tough at times for sure. But you, I, I think I read an interview with you where you say that you, you, you write every day at, is it 6.30 or 7.30 in the morning? Like you have a very sort of disciplined writing yeah. practice. Well, you know, I have to because I, I took a personality test. Um, this was several, quite a few years ago. You know, when you're in the doctor's office, you're waiting and there's a magazine and you open it uh-huh. or something and there's 20, 30 questions. And yeah. And what's your what's your cardinal uh, quality? Is it kindness? Is it generosity? Is it patience? Turned out, mine was sloth. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I didn't think that was an option. That doesn't seem fair. Everybody else gets kindness. Wow. (laughs) I can't believe that was even a choice. I know, me too. That's kind of rude. I know, it's rude. How rude. And the only surprise to me, honestly, it didn't come as a big... What was surprising is that I got all the way to the end of a very long questionnaire. But as a result, I actually... I have to be disciplined because if I'm not, nothing will happen. I I will run around and around the kitchen island and then go and eat a dozen brownies and and watch, you know, reruns of Friends all day. I mean, seriously, I need to be disciplined. And so disciplined and structured. And then for me, when those are no longer taking up space in my brain, I no longer have to think, what time am I going to get to work? How am I going to work? That's all mm. predecided. Then I have time to be creative. So for me, that sort of structure is freeing rather than um, uh, rather than a bondage. So yes, I get up. I, I set the alarm normally for five forty-five. Sometimes I hit snooze, but generally not. Um, I make coffee. I I answer some emails. There's some people I write every day, so I write those first things. I scroll through the news. It's sort of a slow entry into the day. And by 6.30, quarter to 7, I'm at the laptop and I write. I generally, because I'm also, I mean, we all have different ways. There's no right way, as you know, or wrong way to write mm-hmm. a book. And uh, For me, it helps to have a certain amount of self-awareness. Um, and again, there's no wrong answer, but for me, I'm quite goal-oriented. Um, so I set a goal of a thousand words a day. Mm. Um, generally, by halfway into the book, I, I no longer do that. I mean, I, I watch the word count, um, but I, I just I write until I come to a natural stopping point. And it's generally by noon or so where I'm just, I know anything else I write is not going to be very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get, I, I do interviews or do, you know, the rest of the work that's necessary mm-hmm. or, or sit on the sofa and watch friends. <laughs> which is, which has its place as self-care. That's a very valid sure. activity. It does actually. And it's interesting you say that because it took me a long time to realize, and I, I have to get better at this. And I think I really have people unintentionally can encroach, especially when you work from home. Now the whole world is working from home. So I think there's a little bit more respect for what it means. But there was a time when you work from home isn't really work. You're at home. Yeah, well, you know, answer the phone or answer the door or come out and play. Um, And I've had to become much better at saying no and guarding my personal time. Say, I'm sorry, I can't do that interview because I want to sit and watch friends, well, you can't really say that. So you have to say, you know, I'm having brain surgery or you know, something important has come up. But the fact is, I want to have a bubble bath. I don't want yeah. to do another interview. Well, we're so glad or that whatever. you did do this interview. Well, I, mean, yes. I happen to be in the bath right now. So I've discovered how I can do both. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so, thank God it's not Zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for you, my God. No, oh, we would be. It would be. We could. What if you discovered we were both also in the bath? <laughs> oh, let's pretend. Let's pretend Ooh. we are. <laughs> so, your first novel came out when you were forty-six, and you you went through a, a grueling process of being rejected by publishers, and have now had this massive success. 
come, you know, as our culture kind of likes to say relatively, you know, later in life, even though right. you were you were sure. 46, which feels young to, to us now and people in our 40s. Uh, what, what, it, what has it been like to have this this career start midlife. And, and I would also love to know, what do you say to people who kind of feel like they're quote too old or their time has passed oh. to pursue a new career or, or a new passion? Oh yeah, no, I've, I've heard that not necessarily just with writers, but with all sorts of people who say, you know, I can't go back to university. And, and I hear that from them for four years. And I think, you know, you sort of want to say, well, had you gone back four years ago, you know, when you first started saying this, you'd be finished now. You'd be through. Mm. I, it's never, ever, ever too late. I, I, it's, I, and especially if you're doing what you love, just do it. I started writing uh, after going through writer's block and whatnot, hoping the books would be published, um, but not, n- not needing them to be. And, mm. and I understood that that probably the 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 reward I would get would be in the writing of it. So my 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 suggestion is just just do it for the joy of it. Do it with gratitude. Do it with awareness that we live in a society that allows us to do this. So just go for it. I mean, how how fear for me, and it's often fear that stops people from 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 realizing their dreams and fear has been such a thief in my life and, and was on the verge of stealing this dream for me because I was afraid of, suppose I tried it and couldn't do it. Suppose I failed. Suppose I'm found wanting. Suppose my mother didn't like what I wrote. It, it, I had to let that go and just write, write for myself. Do it for yourself. Do it for the joy of it. And how dare th- fear steal from me the one thing I've ever wanted to do so that if I reach the end of my days not having tried it, for what? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Failure. Well, it won't kill you. What What got you to the point, though, where you could, like, what was that transition like into not fearing fear anymore? Because I feel like that's the the biggest leap. Was there a moment for you or was it, did it just kind of come with time? I think like so many things. I was a journalist, as you mentioned. Um, and having covered a lot of events and some of them pretty tragic and they, they, they can appear to happen out of the blue and very few things do. Once you start doing the postmortem, you realize it's, it's a cascade of smaller, um, events, uh, many of which can be easily overlooked. You don't even realize that they're, they're marching toward a certain, uh, finale, whether it's great or, or, or awful. And the same with this. It's, it, it was a series of small things that were kind of imperceptible. Michael, my husband and I, we moved out of Montreal to this small village. Um, not so I could write, just because that was the lifestyle we wanted. I fell in with a group of women who were extremely creative, who had the courage to do what I didn't, and that was to put themselves out there. They were dancers and artists and musicians. And I saw that, but you know, they, they would they would put on recitals, and some were were uh, were brilliantly received, and some were not. But mm. what I saw was that they each still got out of bed in the morning, and they walked down Main Street, and they were as magnificent in the morning as they were the night before. That whatever happened there, whatever disappointment happened, it 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 didn't diminish them. So, and, and the last thing that I had to see 
was I sat on the side of my bed and I looked at the pile. I was going to write the best novel ever written, of course, because otherwise, why bother? And I, and I saw there a bunch of crime novels. And I read, like most people, small C Catholicly, but it was crime novels were well represented. And I just had one of those aha moments of that moment of clarity where I, I realized how much of my life has been prescribed by trying to get the approval of others. And mm. I just, it just, that moment, it just slipped away. And I realized, no, just write for yourself. And if it's, I've been wanting to write since the age of eight. And the, the, only, the contract I had with my eight-year-old self wasn't that the book be the best ever. And it wasn't even that it be published, just that it be done. And I thought, just do it. Just sit down and write a book you would read. And that was, that finally put the fear uh, in its place. The, the final thing I just want to mention that the first book took me, as you said, you know, 45 years to write. And then my agent uh, phoned with the great news that she'd found a publisher, but she said, you know, and I've sold three books. And I said, oh, <laughs> Teresa, that's great. Mine and who else's? <laughs> she said, Louise, you idiot. They're all yours. They're all oh, yours. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to be 150 by the time the third book is written at this rate. And then she said, no, it's, it's due in a year. It's a, well, by that stage, it was like 10 months. And I was petrified, overwhelmed with fear. And I started writing the second book. And, and when I'm writing in fear, I fall back into playing it safe. And I, uh, what I was writing was okay, but not better than that. And I knew that everything I had dreamt of was slipping through my fingers, that it was mediocre at best. So I went to a therapist. I'm a big, big believer in asking for help. And I told her what the problem was. I, my fear, too, was not only that it'd be mediocre, but that, in fact, I, I would be paralyzed and suffer writer's block again. And she said something that changed my life. She said, the wrong person is writing the book, which mm. was initially helpful. <laughs> I thought, should my agent be? That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> yes, uh. So I asked her what she meant. And she said, um, your critic is writing the book. Ooh. And you need to bless your critic and you need to thank your critic, but you need to show her the door. And your creative soul, your creative spirit needs to write the first draft. And if you write five pages on salt shaker in the first draft, it's not going to end up in the final draft. You know that. But just explore that. There might be one word in there that's, that is something you're going to keep. But just write. Write with an open heart and an open spirit and not worry. Second and third draft bring the critic back in, but not for the first. And that gave me the permission to explore things, to not be right the first time. I love what you said about um, writing the book for your eight-year-old self, because I do think a lot about like the risks we take as children when we're not worried about what other people think of us. Mm. And there is something really powerful to think about going back to being that person and letting that person who is still inside of you kind of give, give your adult self permission to do things that scare you. So I really like that you, that's how you kind of thought about it when you were writing yeah. the first book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, you, it's, it's sad when you think, at least for me, what happened to that, 
that carefree child. But then, you know, frankly, I am who I am. I, 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 I was lucky that I had very few um, challenges in my early life. I think sometimes as a writer, having had a happy childhood was a bit of a handicap. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I blame my mother for that, of course. But <laughs> so I, I really, there's a line from um, um, Auden's Elegy to Yeats. And, and in it, he says, um, just this one line, I won't quote the whole thing. He says, uh, a mad Ireland hurt him into poetry. I love, <laughs> you know, in those, how many words, eight or 10 words, you learn everything you need to know about Ireland, about poetry, about Yeats. But I, I understood that because I had to be hurt into into writing. I had to be for I had to be 45. I couldn't write at 18 or 19 or 20. Some people can't. I had nothing to say. Mm. But by 45, I had enough gray in my hair. I had enough scars. I had enough, I was broken enough and healed enough to be able to write what I needed to write. Mm. I love that. That's really beautiful. Oh, just sitting here sighing. It's that's I know. <laughs> Like, yes, yes, everything you say. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I have a kind of a twofold follow-up question about this. You know, I've, we've, I've read interviews with you where you talk about finding solace in your, in your writing work after your husband passed away. And I'm also, I'm curious how it feels to know that people find solace from their grief and their stress and their challenges of life in your work, because you provide such an escape, um, and you and you also as a human need escapes of your own. So I, I'm I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that a little bit. No, oh, that's a that's a really beautiful observation and thing to say. Thank you. I wonder how you knew that people find I mean, I know it because people write to me about the solace and comfort that they find, but how did how did you know that? From reading your work. And as you know, I am not a big mystery reader. And Dory and I have really different um, reading reading tastes. And so she's the mystery buff of the two of us. And so when I hear her talk about your work and mm-hmm. what it provides and the comfort it gives her, it's really moving to me as a reader and as a, as a writer. So I, I feel like and I also understand that experience as a reader as well, but it's interesting to hear it from observing someone else, if that makes sense. Like we all know what things provide us as individuals, but to get to kind of tangentially experience it through someone else, it it feels more real. Right. It kind of validates it as well. Yeah. It's like, we all know what we feel, but when you see it in somebody else, you're like, oh, this is real. We are, we are getting, getting this out of your work or out of somebody else's work. So so she's my my beacon of light, really. Oh, thank you, Kate. <laughs> That's lovely. I love I love hearing you know two women who's and I have very close women friends as well who so just so clearly love each other and, and oh, enjoy each other's do. company. We just, do. It's a joy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, it's an incredibly humbling uh, experience and a very um, intimate experience to share it with with readers. Um, when I was going through what I went through with Michael and people would write um, about what they were going through, and not necessarily exactly the same thing, but often the, the loss uh, of, a, of a spouse. Um, it was very 
healing for me. It was very comforting. And it, and it's an interesting feeling. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling to, to know that I am, that it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's so holistic. It's so complete. It feels so complete. It feels like the village itself, which is this little village that's only ever found by people who were lost. And it, and it feels like the people who come to the books are meant to come to the books. And I'm in there too. And we're all sitting in the bistro comforting each other. Um, and, and the fact that I happen to have built the bistro doesn't make it any more mine than, than the person who's sitting next to me. It, 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 it is extremely moving that people will share their life story uh, with me and then I get to write them back and, and then they respond and we get to know each other a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I started writing, actually. One of the things that broke the, the block, oddly enough, was 9-11. Mm. Um, when it was just so scary and it was a shared experience and nothing would be as keen as, as for an American, of course. But as a Canadian, I also had that very real sense that no place was safe anymore. Clearly no place is safe. And so we have to find our own safety. And the only place to find safety is an emotional safety, not a physical one, with friends, an emotional safety inside ourselves, inside our own core beliefs and who we are. Um, and so to share that with other, to find safety with other readers is is an is just it's an incredible experience. It's it's a very beautiful thing, very powerful, very healing. Yeah. Um, you brought up the bistro, which is kind of the the center of communal life in Three Pines, the fictional village where many of the Gamache novels are set, and I'm also I'm wondering about. Not just the bistro itself, but the food in the bistro, which um, sounds delicious. And food is basically another character in your book. So I, I'm, I know that you've said you're not a cook, but tell us about the role that food plays in your books. And I'm also just sort of curious what your favorite foods are for you personally. Oh, I I am an omnivore. <laughs> I, will, I would eat a sofa if I could. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I, but I particularly I have a sweet tooth. I, I'm not a savory. Well, I like you know chips or whatever. But uh, you know, given a choice, I will go for for sweet things. Um, uh, which is probably why Dory and I are such great friends. Um, I, I I the the. <laughs> It was important to me when I started writing um, Still Life that there be a very uh, real sense of place. Mm. It is probably less, all, all my books, less about, I know they are, less about the crime than they are about community and belonging. Um, and as you, you're right, the sense the place is a character into, unto itself as, a, as the meals. But for me, I wanted... Uh, it's a love letter to where I live. And one of the ways I wanted to be able to bring it alive and, and drop the fourth wall was to have people join in what was happening. So engage every the reader's senses so that you're not just a voyeur, you're actually experiencing what's happening, whether it's the cold or, or diving into a lake or, of course, the, the communal aspect of, of having a great meal with other people. 
So mm-hmm. that's where I wanted to describe Quebec cuisine. And it is very quite specific to Quebec and it changes with the seasons. So I wanted people to be able to to taste that as well and, and also smell the wood smoke and and, and the, the, the all, all the other things that go along with it. So I wanted the books to be sensual, sensual, sensuous. Well, they are. I mean, you're, the descriptions of food in your books are mouthwatering. And it's not just at the bistro. Like, I feel like everyone in, in the village is like an amazing cook. You, you've set most of your books in Three Pines, but um, All the Devils Are Here was set in Paris. You've set books in Quebec and in the monastery, whose exact location I'm blanking on, but it's north of Montreal. It's north, yes. Quebec, right? Yes. Um, so I'm wondering, are you are you going to return to Three Pines? Has this poor village suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yes, that's a good point. I this is something I hadn't thought it all the way through. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, well, I'll, I'll write it set in a village, but I don't want it to be a village cozy. I want like where I live. It's in a village, but there are whether people were born and raised there, whether they have university degrees or didn't get out of high school, these are very smart people. So I didn't want that kind of, you know, that cozy feeling where everybody's just talking about knitting patterns. Um, I wanted it to be intelligent and thoughtful, um, but set in a village where I live. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, how many crimes <laughs> and for how long can I con- con- continue to describe it as idyllic when obviously Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so every so I after a, the third book, the fourth book actually, no the third book, I decided to every second book really needed to be set somewhere else. I not that they don't go back to Three Pines, that the main right. parts of the discussion and the investigation doesn't happen, but the crime itself doesn't right. happen in the village, it happens in the environs. Um and and yeah, I think it's it's a certain amount of of um, having to set aside your rational thinking and just accept. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, that gives the village a chance to repopulate. And honestly, frankly, anyone who moves there deserves what they get. Right. Ooh. I was just going to say, I feel like a lot of the victims turn out to be like recent transplants to the village. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, I've also, as you probably know, we won't get into it, but I have killed off main characters as well. Yes. Because again, I want that. No, but no place is safe. Right. I can't take anything for granted because life is like that. You don't know when, mm. when it's your turn. Um, yeah. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. It makes it hard. Um, I, I did want to also talk about your most recent book, All the Devils Are Here, which, as we discussed, is set in Paris, and you mentioned your dear friend, Dory Greenspan, who lives in Paris and doing the research in Paris. And the book clearly seems like it was written by someone who has a a very deep love for the city. But I'm curious how you would describe your relationship with Paris and what kind of research did you do to write the book? I was actually kind of nervous about writing the book because I, as you know, I'm sitting here in London right now. I have much more of a relationship with London um, than Paris. I had only ever, I, the first time I went there was, I was in my late thirties and Michael, who I had just met, um, asked if I wanted to go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, so that was my, it was a wonderful introduction to Paris, uh, to be there with 
at that age, when I thought that that was never going to happen, I thought that the best was behind me. Um, and then to meet someone later in life, seemed later in life, late 30s, uh, who I loved, and then who took me to Paris was magical. Um, so I wanted to instill some of that magic and that sense of awe in this book. We went to the um, a Musée Rodin, um, mm -hmm. which is where the book my book opens a scene in the garden there. Mm. Um, so we, I, I retrace some of the steps that Michael and I had, but it's not a homage to, to Michael and my, my, our visits there. We, we went back a few times. And um, the reason I said it in Paris is not simply because Paris is Paris and spectacular, um, but we learn early on in the series that Gamache's son, Daniel, and his two granddaughters live in Paris. So, I knew that if I was going to take Armand out of Canada, it, it had to make sense. Mm -hmm. And Paris made sense on all sorts of levels, the French connection, um, but also the, the, the connection with Daniel. But it meant, of course, sadly, that I had to go to Paris a few times. <laughs> I know. The shame. <laughs> oh, no, not many people understand the way you do. You clearly understand the hardship oh, of doing that. Yeah. Oh, it must have been awful. <laughs> but I, I had a few friends who know Paris really well, so they came along with me. Um, and that was important because I needed to be, that sense of love that, that I needed to imbue in the books that I didn't really have for Paris. I had, I didn't, I, I didn't have a, I mean, I liked it a lot, but I didn't have that familiarity. So I needed to be around people who just love the city and know it and could show me some of the out of the way Little the back alleys and the the gardens that nobody else ex knew existed, uh, the the les arch the archives, um, these really interesting little out of the way places, um, the restaurants that actually exist. Um, I was a little worried, to be honest, because it was my first time back since Michael had died, um, and and whether that sadness would also be creep into the books and I didn't want it to be. Um, I don't think it does, but obviously something bad happens in Paris, so it's not just a wrong. Um, but yeah, I, what I decided, discovered, part of my, my uh, you know, I'm very intimidated by Paris because I didn't know it. And many, many people obviously know it much better and love it, was how do I uh, transmit that, that intimacy with the, with the setting, have people fall in love with Gamache's Paris the way they fall in love with Three Pines. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized the only way to do it wasn't to try to reflect all of Paris. That would be insane. But to choose a couple of the arrondissements, a couple of the districts, and drill down on those. And that's what I did. So I chose the Marais, which is way that, where the Gamaches have a, a, a small apartment, and Saint-Germain-des-Prés, which is just across the river. Um, so, uh, so those are the, really the two major neighborhoods that they spend time in. Well, I've been to Paris a couple times and it really made me want to return and go to the archives. I've, I've never been to the archives. So thank you for writing such an evocative book. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled. And it goes back to what you were saying before about, I, I, uh, you know, I went there to write a book. I didn't go there to fall in love with a city. And yet mm. that was the uh, an unexpected and, and just a wonderful byproduct. Well, before we wrap up, although I, I feel like we could talk to you for 
hours. Two hours? Although, three hours? I know that you have to go watch Friends, but <laughs> we would still like to keep talking to you. But um, we're also curious, what kind of books do you read and who are your favorite authors? Oh, gosh, you know, I wish I had. I'm going to have to start coming up with an intelligent answer to that. <laughs> It's a lot of pressure as a writer to have to listen. To. It is. It is. Oh yeah, People Magazine. Is that a book? <laughs> it is in our. It is in our view. So yeah. All right. So People Magazine. Um, now, it's, um, can I, I don't write. Read. I, I clearly write crime fiction because I I love it. But I don't read it anymore because I don't um, want to be uh, influenced. It also feels a little bit like work because I'm always analyzing why that works, why that doesn't, mm. so on and so forth. Um, so I read a lot of nonfiction, reading Dark Waters, Kim, uh, Kim Gatta's book on uh, Iran and, and Iraq and the Middle East. Um, I read some some really very sort of obscure nonfiction. I read a book recently on the, the, uh, the different grasses on a Scottish <laughs> island. I mean, you know, this goes to the point about passion. If you love what you're, what you're writing about, whether it's grasses on an island in Scotland, it was fascinating. What do I care? I don't, I'm never going to go there. I'd go, you know, grass. I, who cares about grass? But this person made me care. It made it fascinating. Mm. Um, so that's sort of my, my reading. Now, I'm, I'm also rereading some Agatha Christie's. Um, mm. wow. Golden Age mysteries are, are, are personal favorites. Love Agatha Christie. So um, I love People Magazine. So there. I have said what is like it makes me sound smart. What should no, I? No, I love. I loved your answer. I love what you said about reading kind of obscure nonfiction because it's so true. In yeah. in the right hands, the most niche obscure topic can just become so fascinating. So it's a good reminder yeah. to seek out those books. Hmm, thank you. Yeah. Well, Louise, it has truly been such a pleasure to speak with you. It's, it, it's really, it's really, I just feel so grateful that we got a chance to talk to you and thank you for writing such wonderful books and for continuing to write such wonderful books. So well, I, I have to say I've interviewed, I have been interviewed, obviously, you know, quite often, and I've rarely had, I can't remember ever having a better time. Then, oh, then wow. Oh my gosh. You January. know, thank you for this. Well, thank you. And Louise, where can our listeners find you and your books and if they want to learn more about you and follow your your writing? Oh, well, I'm I'm on Facebook. Um I have a website as well. Um and I think you can find the books just about anywhere. I'm 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 hoping. They're yes. they're translated in 39 languages now. Wow. Wow. Yes. But French but they were translated into French the French Canadian version was was kind of late, wasn't it? Oh, very late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could get it in Estonian before you could get it in French. <laughs> so funny. I know. Go explain. You know, everything the right publisher had to come along at the right time. It's, you know, it's it's having that faith. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be well. Be safe. Yes, you too. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning, 
in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Mm, Dory. I mean, have you started running in circles around your house? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't, but I have told that story to many people. I'm like, we interviewed this really well-known author and she runs inside her house and you would think it was on a treadmill, but no, it's just on her house, in her house. It's just in her house. (sighs) I loved, loved, loved getting to talk to her. It was a thrill. I loved that she sensed that I was the non-mystery reader of the two of us. <laughs> no, she was she was so great. Yeah, she was the coolest. Um I, that was a that was a that was a gift. And yeah, an uplifting it, like I feel like we were both just lifted our spirits after well, getting it. Well, it was the day her. after the election that we That's interviewed right. her. It was literally like 9 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. That's yes. right. And we were like, hey, listen, <laughs> we've got a lot of shit going on here. Yes. That's, I mean, and she was well Canadian. aware. Canadian living in the UK, right? Yes. Yeah. I, mm. I mean, I think her permanent residence is in Canada, but I, I, I wasn't sure if she just got like stuck in the UK or um, anyway. She was so delightful. So delightful. All right. Well, let's intention, Dory, before we hit the road here. Let's do it. So uh, last week, Dory, your intention was Thanksgiving. It was, it was to, it was to like figure out what we were doing for Thanksgiving. And I am happy to say that we figured it out. We ordered 
food, which I think I mentioned last episode, we ordered food from a local caterer here in LA. Unfortunately, we are recording this before Thanksgiving. So I can't tell you how it was, but I have high hopes. It sounds really good. It came highly recommended. And I think we'll eat. And I was thinking of organizing a family Zoom. Nice. That might be too much. It might be too complicated, but I, I might do that. And I don't know. Otherwise, you know, we have a 19 month old. So he kind of dictates the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Maybe we'll go for a walk or something. Does he know the power he has? No, oh, he. He doesn't, but like he wields it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Well, what are you, what are you intending on this week? So as I kind of alluded to earlier in the show, what with my lack of showering, (laughs) I, I need to just like get back on the exercise train. I just feel better when I do it. And I don't know, I've been so busy and things have just been so hectic that I, I keep going days without exercising and I just got to get back into it. So that is my intention for this week. Well, you, you've already checked that off with your tennis lesson. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Wait, Kate, how is your mask space? Cause that was your intention for last week that you were going to organize your masks. Oh, I did. I almost took a picture of it to share. Maybe I will. Uh, you know, it, it took like all of, it was so quick and I've been putting it off for months and it felt really good. I washed everything. I got, I, I isolated the masks that nobody wears because we've now been at this long enough that like there are the masks that people like and the masks that nobody likes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are four of us in my household and every person has a different kind of preferred mask. Mm. Anthony likes Los Angeles apparel. I like Athleta. My oldest daughter wears a lot of like, Target masks and handmade masks, and my youngest likes the Costco masks. So everyone has Mm. everyone has their own mask preference. So every person has a hook where all their masks are stored. And then I finally added like a dirty mask bin because sometimes my kids come home, you know, after being outside and they are they're, you know, one of them like chews on the mask. It's it's a whole thing. So and also just masks get dirty when you wear them. So we have a dirty mask bin. I organized all our little like COVID supplies by the door and I put that in a in a bin that's labeled so like extra masks, the face visors, extra hand sanitizer, wipey things, all that stuff. It feels good. It looks really organized and neat. I don't know how long it will last because like my children who are children come home like if they've been outside, like say they they walk the, around the block or they go walk the dog or something. They come home and they literally just like fling their masks on the floor like they're their shoes. Like they are like the learning, the learning of organization is a whole thing. So anyway, so like I'll just like find a mask on the coffee table or like under something. And it's like, oh, okay. Anyway, Uh, uh, but it feels good. Great. I'm happy for you. This week, I really was sitting and like trying to think of what my intention was. And I was like, I can't think of anything. I don't. I don't have any, I don't have anything. And like everything felt kind of like stupid or trivial. I don't know. It just nothing felt right. And so what I wrote down was that I want to be as present and conscious as much as I can and fully aware of the many gifts I have in my life. 
Like, I just kind of want to take a moment to be mm. like, okay. So after I wrote that down, like literally after I wrote it into our document, I just clicked over to check the news on the Washington Post. And there was an article in their health section that resonated with the exact feeling I had just written down. So I would like to share a link. It's a, it's a piece by someone named Steve Petro. He's a columnist. And it's called, I want to hit the button that says resume life, but this is life now and we shouldn't waste it. And it's, it's really about kind of existing in the present right now when we're all just like, you know, really looking toward the future because we're all in this madness of this pandemic. And I thought it was a really interesting piece. And so I really, um, I really appreciated it. It resonated with how I was feeling. And so I'm going to share it. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm excited to read it. It's really lovely. It's a quick read, Dory. You'll breeze right through it. I Great. will I will email it to you. Oh. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Why, thank you. Well, check my inbox. Well, Dory, it's the end yes, of the road Kate. for us today. It really is. It's been a pleasure. It has. As always. It's always fun. All right, everyone. Well, Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dory Shafrir, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sammy Junio, and Sam Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. Thanks for listening. Bye.